Blog Talk Radio. everybody hey black afternoon and thank you for listening to black free thinkers once again and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself not convert you once again we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself not convert you and this is kim kimberly or what have you and thank you. You know, last week we had an excellent, excellent show with Christopher Everett, the director of Wilmington on Fire. It's a documentary, and he has some more fun projects coming up. So we're definitely going to have him back on the show. But we hit on a, a number of different topics last Sunday. And, you know, we're going to hit some more today. Today is more of an open topic show. If you want to call in, it's 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. You'll press 1 if you want to speak with us. And it's a lot to talk about. There's been so much happening, you know, over the last several months in the news that, you know, it's kind of hard to figure out where to start, you know, because I'm sitting here and watch the news every day, of course, and just some of the things that are happening, you know, it's unprecedented. I'm not sure if you all have been keeping up, but this weekend has been full of adventure, especially, you know, over there on the East Coast. You know, you had a bomb go off in New Jersey. You had a bomb go off in New York. They found a second device that was like a pressure cooker. And, you know, you had people that had meat cleavers trying to give people facelifts, chopped off half the police officer's face. He had to have it re You know, it was just the skin part, but, I mean, that's enough. You know, he had to go through surgery for that. You got people, I think this was in Minnesota, running around stabbing each other and something else happened in Philadelphia and it's like it's just so much going on and it's not even just limited to those places. I mean, these are things that are happening all over the country. You know, you just don't see a lot of news accounts for, you know, because we have media blackouts um, about certain things. I mean, I'm pretty sure some of you are aware that they're having a prison strike that the prisoners have done a national strike across the country against slavery, you know, slave wages and slave labor. So, you know, it would be interesting. I want you guys to go and look that up, you know, the prison strike. And I also want you to look up the 13th Amendment while you're doing that. And so, you know, it's kind of give you some insight. You know, we'll probably end up talking about this one day, but – 
you know, go out and find out what's happening across this country because there have been situations in which they took over, you know, the jails and, you know, basically ran the correction correction officers. So, you know, go out and do some reading on that. It's, it's been interesting. You know, we knew this was going to happen. And, you know, there have been many articles that were printed and posted by a number of people regarding the prison strikes. So, and I remember talking about it a few months ago. This has been, you know, in the works for a while. And so finally it jumped off this week. So go look that up. Again, don't forget to look up the 13th Amendment. Even if you're not looking up prison strikes, I just want you to think about prison and slavery in America when you're looking up the 13th Amendment, you know, and just do some searches on there. And you're going to find a lot of goodies. You're going to find a lot of information that you probably were not aware of. So, you know, that's basically what I'm going to say about that for right now. But it's just interesting, you know, with what's happening all over the country with the protests growing when you have more, um, you know, people of color with influence and affluence, you know, out here taking knees, you know, raising their fists and we're not going to take it. And, you know, it's just, it was really interesting because, you know, seeing all these football players taking knees and we're seeing basketball players, just some of, you know, tennis players, soccer players, you know, and this is happening all over the country, not just with professional athletes, but you have high schools and colleges doing the same. As a matter of fact, Ball State University, you know, all of the students sat down as the band played the national anthem, you know, and so they had different organizations, you know, from campus there, but, you know, it wasn't organized by any specific group. They just plan on sitting at every home game. So you see this happening across the country, you know, um, over at Penn, University of Pennsylvania. You had a couple of cheerleaders that protested. One took a knee and the other one raised their fist. You know, so you, it was, it's just it's really interesting to see, you know, what's happening across this country. And so, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's refreshing, you know, in one respect, but you know, the caveat for me is, you know, how long is this going to last? You know, because taking a knee and making a fist and raising it, you know, those are great gestures, but, you know, we have to do more than gestures. So what are we going to do after we take a knee, after we raise our fists? You know, and there are some people that, you know, are not, you know, able to go out there to the rallies and the marches and the protests. And that's all fine and good. You know, there are other things you can do. You can share it on social media. You can call people up. You know, just a number of things. You can make donations to these different organizations out here because, like I said last week, we're in trouble. Black people in this country are in trouble, and so are the Latinos. But, you know, with, with communities of color, you know, we've always been behind the eight ball. And we've been trying to play catch up, you know, that's what that race is, you know, we're trying to catch up. And, you know, the playing field has never been leveled. It was never meant to be leveled. And it's just really interesting, you know, when you start challenging 
you know, these, these, you know, racist policies and these racist laws and just institutionalized racism as a whole. So, you know, I just find it interesting because, you know, you still have a number of people out there, and when I'm talking about people, I'm talking about white people who are trying to say that they are the ones being discriminated against and that because we talk about race and racism and white supremacy and white privilege and entitlement, that we're the racists, that, you know, we're the ones out here being the race baiters. And so it's really interesting because if you look at the dynamic of this country, especially those that are backing Donald Trump, you know, it speaks volumes. You know, but see, this is the thing. It's not only the white people that are backing Donald Trump. It's the black people that are, you know, backing Trump as well. And so what's so interesting is, you know, and, you know, I'm going all around my notes. It's not in the order that I meant to talk about these topics, but this is how it goes. But, you know, Donald Trump has a number of black preachers, if you will, um, in his so-called corner. And many of you all can blame that or give the credit to, you know, Paula White, the white woman who used to pastor without walls with her husband, Randy, and they divorced. He married a stripper, you know, and, and it's just, you know, a whole bunch of stuff happened because when they divorced, he had the church. And then when he married that woman who was a born again, you know, Christian, you know, some of his, you know, congregation, they weren't feeling that, right? But, I mean, you know, what was so interesting about that is, you know, in many of these Christian churches, they talk about forgiveness and, you know, restorative justice and a number of things. And so that whole situation, anyway, I'm not trying to talk about that today. But, yeah, you know, now she's over Zachary's church, Um Zachary Timms, I believe that was his last name, and he had just signed on to be, you know, a partner with Without Walls, and so when Zachary died from a drug overdose in New York, um, basically she took over the church, even though Zachary's wife wanted to carry on with the ministry, you know, they kind of just bogarted their way in there, his wife started another ministry, and quite a bit of the congregation went with them. And so, anyway, if you go back, do some searches on Paula White and Randy White and their financial troubles, and you know, and you'll understand why that situation is a little shady. You know, you may also want to look up her selling vitamins, just a whole bunch of stuff. So, anyway, you know, Paula White and Daryl Scott and a few other preachers, they were the ones that set up those meetings with Donald Trump, and you you had this one pastor who was saying, <laughs> saying that, you know, that America should return black Americans to Africa to build roads and bridges. So I guess y'all going back to Africa. Only place I'm going is back to bed. I'm disabled, so I am of no use to physical labor. But, you know, he was saying that this was his job plan. And so this pastor, you know, Apostle Thomas Rogers Sr. of Antioch Church 
Antioch Road to Glory International Ministries in North Carolina was saying that Americans or black Americans should have dual citizenship so that they could find jobs in Africa. And he gave this quote, I think it would give young people in prison jobs just like Great Britain did. I'm going to let that rest. I want you to think about that. Because, <laughs> you know, you know, we've talked quite a bit about the prison industrial complex and how, you know, basically – They're paying those prisoners pennies on a dollar. And mind you, many of these are private prisons. And, you know, if they're not private prisons, they're public prisons, but, you know, there's a lot of private enterprise in there. And for some of these private prisons, you know, they're being traded publicly. So it's it's just it's interesting, you know, how all of this is working out. But they're making money. And when they sign these contracts – with the state, you know, whatever state you may be in or they may be in, basically the state has to sign off on the contract saying that they will have so many bids filled, you know, so there's a quota. And when the state doesn't make the quota, they still have to pay that private prison whatever amount they had agreed upon. And so, you know, again, we ask you to go and look and do some research on the prison, the school-to-prison pipeline. And it's important that you understand that. It's also important that um, some of these people that are incarcerated, you know, they are gaining some very valuable skills, you know, you know all kinds of artisanal you know, trades and you know, those things, but being paid pennies on the dollar, and then you have, you know, people that are profiting from it, like Whole Foods, and, you know, we could name a number of different things, but, you know, you guys really need to go and take a look at that. Additionally, in regards to that, you had, you know, students on college campuses across this country striking and protesting, basically protesting, that their administration basically divest from the prison industrial complex. And so that's been happening. Um, I know we've talked about it a couple of times. I've encouraged you guys to go and take a look at your 401k portfolio to see if, you know, whatever fund or whatever, who's ever managing your 401k, you know, see where that money is being invested And so it's just really interesting because, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, was invested heavily in a lot of these private prisons. And I just find it ironic that now he wants to give some money and, um, you know, he called himself trying to balance out, you know, his, his donations. And so it's just, it's interesting, you know, watching all of this go down, see how it's happening and Who's doing what? Did I mention that Rodney King's daughter stated that she's standing with the LAPD? And so, you know, these are things that I think you all should know about. You know, Rodney King's baby, his daughter, is standing with LAPD. Ain't that something? I don't think any of us would have guessed that, right? And so, you know, you have these things you know, happening across the country, but I'm just letting y'all know they're going to put y'all on a boat. Y'all going back to Africa. 
so you can go over there and make roads and bridges. You know, I believe that the apostle there stated that, you know, he wanted black Americans to build a bridge from Africa all the way to America. Now, I don't know about you, but I ain't trusting that, right? And it'll never happen. You know, the infrastructure, it just can't be done. So, again, go out, look, pay attention. You know, what's happening in this country, especially in regards to these pipe bombs, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't reported in the news. You know, you have trains that are derailing because you've got bombs going off on the tracks. And it's a number of things. You know, these are not isolated incidents. But the reason why it seems so isolated is because they, you know, black a lot of this information out. Shit like this happens every day. People running around, you know, their little machetes and, you know, butcher knives and all of that cutting people up, you got folks shooting other people, you know, all day, every day, you know, and as far as, like, you know, this terrorism scare, you know, that is happening more often. What What's so interesting is the majority of those terrorist acts are committed by white men, but nobody wants to talk about that. Funny how that works. So anyway, just wanted you guys to know about these things, um, it's crazy. You know, over on the East Coast, you know, one of the oil lines popped off, right? And so now they have a gas shortage, you know, all on the East Coast and the Southeast. So, you know, guys, the ones that are living down there, you know, if you're listening to the show, sorry to see that you all are going through this because, you know, it seems like this is going to be a very trying situation. So. You know, you may have to start carpooling and a number of other things for some of you. You may be able to convince your employers to allow you to work from home. You know, sometimes they are willing to make that adjustment, you know, with you. It wouldn't be a permanent situation, but, you know, a week or two to get everything in order. You can dial in for the meetings, you know. So anyway, just, you know, some suggestions there. Um, something that I saw this week that I thought was very funny. Um, <laughs> it was a picture of Donald Trump standing with little Miss Flint, right? And the the young woman, the little girl, she looked afraid of Trump. It was like she was looking at her mom like, Mommy, no, don't make me. And it was looking like she wanted to cry. And we were like, oh, see, this is the same little girl when she saw Barack Obama. She ran up to him and hopped on him like she, like he was her favorite uncle, right? And so she just jumped into his arms. And you could tell, you know, President Obama enjoyed every minute of it. But I just thought it was interesting that she was afraid of Trump. And, you know, this is what I'm saying. You know, you got these young people that are watching the news, but, you know, and seeing all of this. But in addition to that, you got to remember your kids pick up on, you know, little subtle hints that you may have. And so I just thought that was, you know, interesting, you know. And, you know, that same, you know, he was in Flint, Michigan, and he gave that talk at that black church, and when he started going in on Hillary, you know, the pastor came out and asked him basically to stick to the script. 
And, of course, you know, he was not happy about that. And so you have these different schools of thought out here um, that were, you know, going back and forth on whether the pastor, you know, was appropriate or inappropriate. And so, you know, Donald Trump, in true fashion, you know, made some snarky-ass comments. And, you know, the pastor, you know, she just took the high road, if you will, even though I don't believe in that high road thing. But, you know, she refused to be disparaging toward, you know, Donald Trump. So I'm just looking at all of this. And I just want you guys to go out and do some research. You know, it was an article that came out, and it was talking about redlining and how it's still, you know, happening in real estate. And so I'll read you a quote from, you know, the article. And it says, according to home mortgage and small business lending in Baltimore and surrounding areas, a report just released by the National Community Reinvestment Coalition, a consumer advocacy group, although blacks are double the population of whites in Baltimore, banks gave mortgages to twice as many whites. And as it turns out, the racial composition of a neighborhood as opposed to income is the most important criteria in determining whether a loan is granted. So there you go. This is still happening. We've been saying that this continued to happen. You know, if you go all the way back, you know, Bill Clinton is the one who deregulated the mortgage industry. And so that's when you had a lot of these hedge fund, you know, groups popping up. And here we go. You know, we are in this particular position. And so, you know, just, you know, go out and do some reading, you know. I definitely want you guys to be aware of these types of things. Um, Urban planning, you know, should be something else that you should be looking up and understanding. You know, another way to look at some of this, you have Uber and you have Lyft. And just go out and do some research on them and, you know, subprime car loans. So Uber, Lyft, and subprime car loans, it will open your eyes. So, you know, I encourage you to go out there, read and read and read some more. You know, I don't know, do they have have the Internet in Africa? Y'all better be working on that because, you know, paths are going to be sending y'all back to build some roads and bridges. So anyway, you know, moving forward, You know, what's interesting is, you know, there was, you know, the news show, Meet the Press, and, you know, a number of other shows that come on Sunday morning, and I try to catch a few of them. And they were talking about President Obama stating that if we, you know, if if we don't vote for Hillary, he's going to take it as a personal insult, right? So he's going to be personally insulted if we do not vote for Hillary. Y'all hear that? And I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this. And, you know, I've stated before because I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
operative word is no. I don't know. Dillery has done so much damage. And it's so interesting because of what's happening now, you know, the Clinton Foundation being investigated. But the same thing with the Trump Foundation. You know, they're being investigated for a number of things as well. So, you know, just keep your eyes and your ears open and, you know, vote for whomever. You know, that's basically, you know, how I see that at this point. Because in all honesty, I don't believe that either one of them, Trump or Clinton, you know, are going to follow through with many of the promises that they made, you know, to communities of color. So, you know, they said those things to get the vote. And, you know, they pretty much have determined that, you know, they don't really have to do too much of anything because they take for granted that, you know, we will vote for them regardless. So, you know, we're going to have to do something. We need to make these people earn our votes. And so, you know, just frustrated with the whole situation there. You know, just it's just a big-ass mess what we're dealing with right now. And I don't understand how any of them are getting away with anything. So anyway, you know, there are a number of things that I want to cover. And, you know, I've done some shows that have covered some of these material, but I didn't really get in-depth with, you know, certain aspects of it. And so I think I'm going to do that soon. I think I want to do a show about white Christians and, you know, how it's tethered to racism. You know, that should be really interesting. You know, it would probably be a series because it's a lot of information that's out there. And I also remember saying on this show that, you know, there's a difference between white Christianity and black Christianity. And I know some of you are out there like, how so? You know, they're they're all Christians and they serve the same God and they read the Bible the same way. And, you know, one of the things that I try to impress upon people is that you can have a bunch of black people in the room with a bunch of white people. They can listen to the same speaker and then have two totally, you know, different you know, um, opinions about what the speaker was talking about. So the comprehension, you know, is different. And it's just amazing how that plays out time and time again. And so as I've stated in the past, you know, white Christianity basically has been built on oppression and fear, while black Christianity has been pretty much built on hope and change. You understand, which is why Barack Obama's you know, message resonated so much with, you know, a number of people. And so, you know, when I started talking to people about how white Christians, you know, helped to perpetuate in, you know, racism and how they keep racism in place and when they can really stop this, you know, if we really wanted an end to racism, is going to take the white Christians to do it. And, you know, because, again, this country claims to be predominantly Christian, 
in which, you know, we all know that the, you know, majority of the people in the United States are white for right now. By the time I believe it's 2042, somewhere around there, they will no longer, you know, have the highest population count in this country. And so what you're seeing now with the Donald Trump and his White Lives Matter movement, what you see are people who are afraid, which is why they're flocking to Donald Trump, which is why they're supporting him, because what's happening is their numbers are dwindling, and they know this, but they want to maintain their white supremacy, their dominance, and that's basically what that boils down to. And so, you know, when I started looking at the situation, and, you know, it's, it's disturbing. It really is. And, you know, what was interesting is when people were talking about um, Hillary Clinton calling Donald Trump's, um, you know, fan base, if you will, the people that are supporting him, she called them a half, you know, basically half of his supporters were a bucket of deplorables that were irredeemable. And then she said the other half was desperate. And so, you know, that's interesting, but there is truth to that. Now, whether it's 50% or 20%, I don't know that, and I'm not trying to guess it. What I'm saying is just one is too many, just having one person, too many. And so, you know, it reminded me of when President Obama was running, and he started talking about, you know, some of the, you know, white Christians, if you will, and how they hang on to their guns and their Bibles. And there's a lot of truth behind that. I mean, pay attention to what's happening now. Just pay attention. And, you know, and, I mean, this is nothing new. This has always been in place. And this is one of the reasons why they don't want, you know, black Americans to, you know, have firearms, you know, to defend ourselves. And so, you know, go back. I want you to go back, definitely look up uh, the Black Panthers and the NRA, as well as the Black Panthers and Sacramento, California legislature. And, you know, again, some books out there, that nonviolent stuff will get you killed. The other one is Negroes with Guns, and the other one is We Will Shoot Back. So, you know, it talks about the long history of African Americans and the Second Amendment. And so it's important for people to know that because, you know, I've seen statements from white people stating that they don't mind black people out there protesting and marching, but they got a problem with them having guns. And they make erroneous statements, you know, very unsubstantiated statements that during the Civil Rights Movement there weren't guns. Yes, there were. I want you guys to go and look up Beacons of Defense, and um, especially um, that nonviolent stuff will get you killed. There are a couple of um, NPR pieces on that specifically. And so, you know, it's important that you all understand what's happening because, as James Baldwin says, you know, white people are caught up in a history that they don't understand. And, you know, and a lot of black people don't know it or understand it either. So, you know, that's the purpose for this show, you know, because I'm learning a lot of stuff. 
you know, as as I go along and I share with you. But, you know, a lot of the things that I've learned has caused me to go back and make some changes in my perception and point of view in regards to, you know, life and choices that people make. You know, because you have people, when they look at communities of color, especially impoverished communities of color, you'll have them, you know, make all these simplistic responses like, well, personal responsibility, personal accountability. They had a choice. Okay, they had a choice, but you don't know what those choices were. You know, the choices could have been bad and worse. You don't know. So you don't know all the factors that went into those particular decisions. And I remember talking about the, you know, Dunning-Kruger effect, right? And so basically what that is is people making decisions based on erroneous, you know, false information, you know, primarily, And, you know, many people made life decisions, you know, but, again, what were the circumstances? What were the factors that were in play? You know, because not everybody have the same choices. And so, you know, those are things that, you know, we really need to think about and we need to talk about and, you know, start working on. But, yeah, I'm going to do a series on white Christianity and racism. You know, I want to have that talk. And so that should be coming up, you know. It's just so many books that I have that I got to get to. And um, the past couple of weeks, I've been a little lethargic. So, you know, um, I had to pull back. But um, anyway, just looking at these things. And I know I've talked about, you know, black people in this country, African Americans. And, you know, basically my grandmother, her mom was a slave. So my great-grandmother was a slave. Many of us are only, you know, two or three generations removed. And so when you hear people, you know, especially white people saying slavery is over, Get over it. It's easy for you all to say that. Why don't you forget about it? But you tell the Jewish people not to forget. Never forget. You tell the people affected by 9-11, never forget. Right? And a number of other atrocities. They are never supposed to forget those atrocities. But hundreds of years of slavery, and we're supposed to forget that? And get over it, and you want us to accept the fact that we had as many opportunities as you, when you and I both know that's just a bunch of bullshit. So you know it, it's you know it can be taxing sometimes, but you know again I feel felt will continue to feel that black people in this country. You know, we're suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. You know, we have been on a 400-year guilt trip. You understand? And, you know, what's so interesting about it is, you know, you, you have, you know, when you look at the history, 
you know, and it's not just slavery. You still have the Reconstruction, the Black Code, and you need to go and do some some studying about the Reconstruction. You know, the Black community was undeveloped, underdeveloped for a reason. Go look it up. Go and do some research on that. And then you had Jim Crow, which really didn't end until 1964, you know, with the Civil Rights Act. But, you know, it, it, you know, Jim Crow never ended, if you will. And, you know, that's just my opinion. You know, and again, you know, like I stated last week, you have these people out here, they're just, it's just a little bit more insidious at this time. You know, we're living in Jim Crow remix because, again, our wealth has been decimated for the most part. You know, black and brown people. And it's just so much. But, you know, it's interesting because, you know, some of these white people, when we try to explain white privilege, they don't get it because they're so used to being able to walk out, get what they want, when they want, how they want it. And when it comes to a point where those, you know, very limited resources have to be shared with demographics that are growing, as opposed to their demographics, which are, you know, diminishing. And so, you know, when these people lose any type of privilege, of course it feels like discrimination to them because what they have become accustomed to, you know, is no longer there in the manner in which they, you know, enjoyed, you know, in previous years. And they know that their children and grandchildren will not be able to, you know, enjoy you know, these same privileges. And so that's why I take everybody back to Occupy Wall Street. And it was very important um, because Occupy Wall Street, basically those were, you know, college-educated young white people who realized that, you know, (laughs) they really don't have the type of future that they had been sold and so, you know, again, that's, you know, even with young blacks, you know, that are college educated, they've been sold, you know, this American dream as well. And what a lot of people don't seem to realize is this is just my humble opinion. You know, the American dream, which is the white American dream, actually boils down to black American nightmares. You know, but again, you know, I want you to go and do some research on capitalism imperialism, white supremacy, timelines, history, that is very important, you know, because you can't have capitalism without racism. And I know sometimes some of you, you're sitting there and you're looking at it and you're looking at the phone or the radio or the computer and you're like, what is she talking about? Go back to the archives. I've broken quite a bit of this down, but, you know, I really want to break down that capitalism, you know, and basically what will be enveloped in that, you know, particular series. We will talk about, again, anti-blackness as an industry, fear as an industry, because it is, poverty as an industry, white supremacy and capitalism, how they're tethered, you know, racism, capitalism, all of this is tethered, and how we all play a part in this. And so, 
you know, there's going to be some really difficult truths to to tell and to accept, you know, when we do that show. But, you know, it's so interesting because with what's happening now in this country, you know, we have these protests and marches happening everywhere. And, you know, we've talked about white fragility. And I'm going to talk about it today, you know, even more. And I'm going to talk about it within the context of white Christianity, you know, and capitalism and um, this damn election, right? And so what's so funny is, and when I say funny, I don't mean ha-ha, but funny as in tragic, right? What's so tragic about that situation is the way that things have been set up in this country, the way that, you know, white supremacy works in America. Basically, I don't even know how to sugarcoat this shit. That's why you hear me pausing. But basically, you know, it's set up like, you know, a dysfunctional marriage. Whereas white people don't give a shit about us and our feelings and, and, and you know, our issues and problems. But it is incumbent. It is mandatory. It is demanded that we take their feelings into consideration. It's demanded. And it's demanded that we make, you know, everything, you know, there is a, you know, they want everything to be white-centered. Eurocentrism, if you will. And so, in, in, you know, they put, they place that responsibility. This is white supremacy. That responsibility, you know, is, is placed upon us, which is why I get pissed off when I see these black preachers, you know, trotting black people out. Now, somebody don't kill your whole damn family, including a damn dog, and you were, you know, you were out and about, and you come home, and you see your whole family has been slaughtered. But the first thing those preachers parade you in front of the TV cameras, they're making sure they're seen. But the number one thing they want you to say is you forgive these white people. Now, white people ain't trying to forgive us for shit. You understand? But it's mandatory that we forgive them. And this is because of fear. Because white people fear that we will treat them the way that they treated us. They know damn well how they're treating us in this country. Don't fall for that bullshit. This is why I don't like going to talk to, you know, um, white conferences and conventions. Because they, they you know, it's, it's just, you know, a lot of that shit is predicated on bullshit. And um, and so, you know, they put the ownership of that responsibility on us. So we're responsible for everybody and everything. So here we go with those white tears, you know, and, and, and when they place us in that position, you know, that gives them the ability to feign ignorance about white privilege and entitlement and how they have benefited from that. And so, you know, what's so interesting is, you know, in the secular community, and I've been a part of this community for a long time. And so, you know, libertarianism is very entrenched in, you know, that particular community. And um, some of the stuff that I've been seeing for the past several, several years, but especially this year, 
you know, like a few of them have snapped and lost their minds. And and all I can say is we told you so. We told you this was going to happen. You excused that bullshit and their behavior. And now because they know, you know, we're not going to address it on this show anymore. Not really. Because we, we don't give a shit anymore. And that's basically what it boils down to. But, um, you know, it's just funny how we have to be responsible, not only for our community and our own emotional intelligence and well-being, but we're responsible for theirs as well. And like I said, you know, having these black preachers trot you in front of the cameras and the microphones to tell, you know, white people that you forgive them, the people who committed that crime, but that you just forgive white people overall. And see, and this is the thing, because, of course, they want to see you come to heal, you know, or subjugate yourself or genuflect and kiss their ass. See, that's what they want. You know, what they fear if we, is if we start doing a Nat Turner on their ass. That's what they're fearing. You know, and it's unfortunate, you know, because, you know, you have white people out here who claim that they don't understand how white supremacy works and um, and how, you know, how we need to act against it. You know, and we've been doing that from the very beginning, you know, and, you know, but we're in crunch time. And so we have to continue to protest. We have to continue to fight back, you know, and make these demands. And, you know, I've had some, you know, I, I Uber, especially when I'm not feeling well and um, a little bit too tired or weak to drive. And talk to the Uber drivers, and it's so interesting, especially when I have some African-American or black Uber drivers because I had one Uber driver, and she was talking about Hillary as her girl and all of that, and she had some disparaging remarks about protesters and activists. And I turned around and I corrected all of that. And, you know, basically the platform that was released for the Movement for Black Lives, you know, she was trying to go in and say that, They were asking too much and reparations and all of these things. And, you know, again, white people don't have to trot these tropes or narratives in front of us. They've trained us to do it to each other. And so I have to break it down. It's it's not just for slavery, but you still, like I said, you have the black codes, reconstruction there, you have Jim Crow. And, I mean, now, you know, it's, it's you know, a lot of institutionalized and structural racism in this country that has not been addressed. This is why you hear us talking about policy and how policies and laws need to be changed and why we need to press people. But um, there's this article, and it was written by Hari Zayad, or Zayed, Z-I-Y-A-D, and the title of the article Four Reasons Black People Can Feel Responsible for White Feelings and Why We're Not. And I'm just going to go through all four of them, and then we can come back and talk about it. The first one is white people aren't used to having their feelings centered. I'll repeat that. White people aren't used to not having their feelings centered. Okay? 
um, number two, when someone feels comfortable, they're more likely to be receptive. When someone feels comfortable, they're more likely to be receptive. Number three, we are empathetic people. Again, we are empathetic people. And number four, we think we have something to prove or we think we have to prove something when proof is readily available. Again, we think we have to prove something when proof is readily available. And I want you guys to go out and pull that article up. You know, and, you know, they made some wonderful points in this. And, you know, with this, it just reiterates, you know, what what we've been saying, that it's going to take white people to correct other white people to deal with a number of these issues, you know, and because we can't do it. You know, it's been proven. Time and time, a lot of white people do not take us serious when we talk about how bad things are. And the only reason why some of them are out here protesting with us is because there is video. You know, now some believed us from the very beginning, but some of the other ones were skeptical until they started seeing these videos. But even then, they still turned around, and some of them, and said, well, if they just would have complied with the police, And, you know, one of the more vivid examples, you know, is the gentleman that was the counselor with his, you know, autistic, you know, client there. He's on the ground, spread eagle, and they shot him any damn way. You know, so, you know, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. And there are a number of articles out there talking about white fragility, or some people will say white guilt. And, um, and you know, what I want you all to think about is, you know, they make sure that it's incumbent upon us, black people, to make them feel better. And when we discuss our struggles and, and, and what we're trying to do, we have to discuss white people's concerns first, right? We have to, you know, talk about their issues and their feelings and take all of that into consideration. And that's bullshit. You understand? It's bullshit. And so I think you all will really enjoy this article. So... You know, um, I'll read you this quote here. By expressing the need to make sure white people's feelings were first placated before addressing racism, it seems some people were coming precariously close to making white feelings more important than racism. Now, you've heard me say this, and I said it before, you know, the liberation of people of color is greater than white tears is greater than white feelings, is greater than white fragility. And we need to understand this because when we when we make their feelings and we you know we turn an issue in this Euro you know centrism, this is dangerous for us. Because again, we're still putting ourselves to the back and and, and filtering to, to make them feel comfortable. And the truth of the matter is the only way they're going to feel comfortable is when they maintain and continue to have and hold all of the power and money. 
And so we have to start looking at these things, you know, you know, a lot differently. You know, I know we've talked about, you know, coddling white folks, you know, and sometimes they make these demands, you know, because think about what's happening with Colin Kaepernick and how you have some of these white people and black, but primarily white people out here demanding that he stand for the pledge and put his heart, his hand over his heart and recite it. And so, um, you know, I, I posted an article, <laughs> you know, with Skip Bayless, and, you know, he was just talking about, you know, that plantation mentality in which, you know, people are addressing this particular issue with Colin Kaepernick. And, you know, that, you know, there was some truth to that. But, you know, I had people talking about Skip Bayless and his conversation with Little Wayne and how he said Little Wayne sounded intelligent because Little Wayne told him that he had never encountered racism in his whole life. I want that to sink in for you guys. So, you know, yeah, just just look at how they treat you know, some of these black celebrities, I mean, just look at it. doesn't matter how much money you get. It doesn't matter how much influence you have. You are still a Negro, and you need to know your place. And so, um, ha, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and what's so interesting is when some of us, you know, have friendships with, you know, white people, you know, our allies, And when we're having these conversations on racism and privilege, you know, sometimes they get defensive, and then you start feeling like you have to coddle and, you know, kind of break it to them gently, if you will. And that's dangerous. We have to stop placating people. They know exactly what they're doing. And while I know some of them feel guilt and feel bad, I've had them say, you know, should I just go out and kill myself? There's nothing, you know, I don't know what to do. And many of them are confused. They're like, yeah, people over here telling them to shut up. And then you have another set of people over here telling them to speak up. And so they're confused and they're like, what to do, what to do. And, I mean, there are many ways, you know, um, there have been instances, and it's happening more and more, whereas white people will, that come out to march at these protests and rallies and marches, what they do is they surround the black protesters and activists. They surround them so that the police will not go stir crazy, right? And so they protect them. Now, that's allyship. And I remember talking about that last year, and I said that is what needs to happen. That is what needs to be done. Now, that right there is allyship because they know those cops are not going to hit them, you know. And so it's just, you know, it's just it's crazy, you know. And if you go and read this article, you'll see in one part – it mentions Michael Jones and an article he wrote, um, Four Reasons People of Color Can't Cater to White People's Guilt or Their Tears. You know, and we have these conversations, and so many white people get offended by this. But it's true. And some of you all will admit it. But, you know, I've stated before 
and I'll say it again today, white people that were raised and born in America, as well as Great Britain, Germany, France, you know, these Western societies, each and every last one of you are racist. Air one. Now, if you remain racist, that is on you because there is a lot of unpacking that needs to happen. You need to unlearn a lot of the shit that you learned that were taught to you when you were a kid, whether it was through television, the media, your crazy uncle, you know, Carson, you know, the neighbors, your pastor, your, you know, your mom and dad, you know, that racism, those biases. You have to unlearn that shit. You need to deprogram yourselves and then start working from inside to deconstruct and dismantle white supremacy. And so, you know, we need to have these conversations. And white people, I'm just telling you, you got to put your big girl panties on because we're going to have to have these conversations. And we need to have it without you yelling and screaming or running out the room or busting into tears. You know, it's hard to move forward when that happens. You know, but we need you having to have this dialogue with us. And so, you know, in the second part, you know, it talks about when someone feels comfortable, they're more likely to be receptive. But, again, that places the ownership on us when we want to talk about these topics because now we have to center white feelings. You understand? And, you know, some of us are afraid that, you know, what we say will offend them. Yes, it's going to offend them. I mean, there's no other way around this. But hopefully when they are offended by some of the things that we say and they go and do some research, because I've had this happen, you know, with, you know, some out, some, some white people that are allies with me. And it's like, you know, go and look this up and they go look it up and, you know, and, you know, made some progress, you know, made some great progress. And, um, huh, you know, just, you know, white people, you need to understand that you've been pretty much hoodwinked. You've been bamboozled. They lied to you your entire life. You know, because I know sometimes when they listen to this show and they hear me talking about these things, and, of course, the first thing they say, oh, she's lying, that's not true, let me go and look that up. And then they look it up, and they're like, oh, my God, that really happened. Yeah. You know, you want to say black people are angry, we have a fucking reason to be angry. You know, and it was it was so interesting and twisted about, you know, this type of thinking, but especially here in America, in, in abroad, of course, um, you have people romanticizing, if you will, history. And what a lot of people don't seem to realize is that history is basically telling the story of people who have been done wrong. But the way that they write it, you know, they kind of brush that off, and they white knight that shit. 
you know, some some white person came in and saved the day, you know, and it's just interesting. But, yeah, we have to start looking at a lot of this stuff differently. And, um, you know, it's so interesting because it's important the way that it's set up. The way that it's set up is that it is our responsibility and it is important for us to understand it from white people's perspective and that we give them the benefit of the doubt and we, you know, try to think of ourselves in their shoes when, you know, they don't have to reciprocate. So, you know, they don't have to think about our feelings or how they would feel if they were in the same situation with us. So, you know, it is one directional. And, um, and, you know, this is what one of the reasons why we're not able to make any real progress. And so, yeah, you know, and we always got to meet them more than halfway. You know, you know, you have them saying, well, meet me halfway. Why? Because meeting you halfway is taking me back. You need to come and catch up over here. And so, you know, I'm just, I'm looking at it and just looking at the situation, especially with these grassroots and community movements that are happening all over this country, you know, constantly having to explain things to people when, in all honesty, they don't give a shit, you know, about the explanation. They just want this to go away. Why? Because they're being inconvenienced. You know, and and also, you know, yeah, we had 450 years of bullshit in this country and, you know, trying to explain our way through and, you know, them dismissing what we're saying. And, you know, we've said it before. If your white friends do not believe you when you tell them how you are being oppressed and discriminated against, that is not your friend. So, again, you know, get out there, do some reading. You know, this is a great piece here. So the name, again, is Four Reasons Black People Can Feel Responsible for White Feelings and Why We're Not. And so he wrote that December, I'm sorry, this was written December 30th. So, yeah, go and, you know, check that out. But, you know, it's it's a lot happening. You know, what I find interesting, you know, and this is all going to tie together, you know, by the time I get to the end, you know, but what's happening now with this White Lives Matter movement with Donald Trump, and while it has some of us out here horrified and absolutely terrified, you have another school of thought out there in which... You know, they're saying that, you know, maybe Donald Trump is the president that we deserve. And if he is elected, you know, is that what it will take to wake people up? And after he gets done screwing everything up, then we have to go in and fix it. You know, it can be many decades before, you know, another Republican is voted in as president or, you know, any of the congressional, federal congressional seats. So 
um, yeah, congressional seat. So, I mean, you have a few people looking at this, you know, from a number of different perspectives, you know, and I've been doing a lot of reading on it. And again, this shit just blows me away. And so what's interesting is, you know, that that particular demographic that likes to hold on to their guns and their Bibles, you know, quite a few of them are part of Donald Trump's, you know, followers. And, you know, again, with the alt-right, you know, with these white nationalists, these Klansmen, you know, these Aryan Nation people, you know, skinheads, you know, basically you'll hear them using Christianity, you know, um, in, in, in when they give their particular perceptions of the situation. And, yeah, you know, I think I need you all to go out and do some research on Christian identity politics so you can get a better understanding. I mean, put in white Christian identity politics, and, you know, you're going to learn. You're going to learn, but... Um, what's happening now with Donald Trump and these, you know, white Christians and some black Christians, you know, and it, it's so interesting when I see, because I saw an interview this week with an actual law professor that is backing Trump. And as I listened to, you know, her responses, you know, all the hairs on my arms stood up. And so what was interesting was when the interviewer, I think it was Chuck Todd, I'm not sure, but anyway, he was talking to her. And he was saying that, you know, Latino Americans or Mexicans or what have you, and when I say Latino Americans, I'm talking about Mexico, which is North America, and then you go down to South America where you have Honduras and, you know, a number of other places. But they are not the majority of immigrants coming into this country, you know, the largest majority. You know, they're not. The largest majority of immigrants coming to this country illegally are Europeans. And I know we've said that on a number of occasions over the years. And so this is why, you know, you'll hear me make comments about, well, why isn't he sending those Polish people back? those Irish people that, you know, all these other folks, you know. And so, again, he's playing on, you know, he's playing on these people's hidden and overt racism and, you know, xenophobia, bigotry, all of that. And, you know, it's just amazing, you know, because he just finally admitted that, you know, Barack Obama was born in this country. And, you know, when he gave that talk, you know, he was like, well, you know, Hillary Clinton started it, and I finished it, and you know what I mean, and all of that, and just all of that bravado, that machismo. I mean, you all really need to be paying attention to this, and especially white Christians, because what you all don't seem to be grasping or paying attention to is Donald Trump is basically putting a spotlight and a microscope, you know, or a um, magnifying glass 
to the white Christian community, white Christian American community, in showing and magnifying the racism that is there, right there plain to see. You know, because you had people who were, you know, still trotting out that narrative that this is a post-racial America, that we are a colorblind America because they elected a black president. And that's bullshit. And so, you know, what's happening with Donald Trump is, you know, the spotlight is out there on white Christian Americans now. And we see that nothing has changed. Martin Luther King said that, you know, Sunday is, you know, the most, you know, during church is the most segregated hour, you know, you know, in America. So, you know, go out and and see and do this research because it's like I really want to talk about, you know, white Christian Americans and, you know, the fall of Christianity. And when I say the fall, I'm not talking about that it's going to implode, but it's diminishing. And, you know, what we're seeing now with Donald Trump, this is the reason why you see more and more people leaving religion. Now, some of them will claim to be spiritual, which is fine. Some of them will claim to be agnostic, which is fine, too. And some will, you know, claim to be atheists or non-believers or humanists or skeptics or cynics, what have you. And that's fine, too. You know, but I truly believe that, you know, once this is all done with, that, you know, white Christian America, you know, they're going to have to answer a lot of questions. Lot of questions because white Christian America is what keeps racism going in this country. And, you know, they can deny it, but, you know, I can post some timelines with some information telling you, you know, how this came about and, and you know, how white Christian churches, you know, justified slavery. You know, and how they, you know, justify homophobia and transphobia and racism, you know, and a number of other things, you know, xenophobia. And um, and it's, it's so funny because when the schools in this country were desegregated, that is when these Christian schools started popping up, these private Christian schools. And, you know, we all know that I have major issues with these charter schools because what's going to happen is black children, you know, they are going to suffer. And for those of you that are out there, you're doing some studying, you know, you should be able to see that black teachers are being forced out of the classroom across the country. And so, you know, there are a lot of things happening. And we need you to pay attention. We need you to pay attention. You know, you know. I feel that it's my job to put this information out there and take away your excuse of I didn't know. Yeah, you did. It either went in one ear or not the other, or you totally disbelieved what I said. And what's so interesting is, you know, with a lot of these white people, 
They want us to educate them. They want us to do all the work and make a nice little pretty presentation for them, only so that they can ignore what we brought to them, which is why you have a whole lot of us saying no more. We're not going to talk to you about racism. We're not going to talk to you about any of this shit because it's obvious that you don't care. And so, you know, and like I said, it's not just limited to America. You know, church attendance, you know, and theism and all of that, you know, it's, um, you know, it's declining in Europe as well. So, yeah, you know, white Christians, you know, it's time for you all to get down and reform your religion. You know, and one thing that I have to make sure that you understand is that, you know, even if you reform your religion and some of your thoughts, again, you cannot expect people of color to subjugate themselves to you. Not only that, you cannot expect atheists, you know, humanists, secular humanists, and, you know, all of these other people, you can't expect them to bow down to your religion. You know, you have people out here talking about religious persecution and, you know, and how they're, you know, not able to practice their religion. You know, sounds more like you're not able to, this your racist religious, you know, rituals or justifications, you know, that are, you know, mandates from the Bible. You know, and this goes into that, you know, manifest destiny shit that, you know, a lot of white men in particular, you know, that they buy into. And so it's, it's, this is going to be interesting, sitting back and watching how all of this is falling into place. And, um, yeah, yeah, is is yeah. I'm just looking at it all. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot. So it's just it's a lot to learn, you know. And we do need to have that talk on, you know, Christianity, racism, oppression, and forgiveness, you know, because it just pisses me off. When I see, you know, these preachers taking these grieving families and making them say on television that they forgive. And all of this is to, you know, basically assuage white people's feelings of guilt and fragility. You know, so that's why I was so happy, you know, when we had some of these, you know, parents on television saying, no, they don't forgive these people that took their children's lives. They don't forgive shit. And that is, and I was happy, you know. So it's just, you know, it just baffles me how this indoctrination still plays out and you still have, you know, these ministers and preachers out here, you know, perpetuating this bullshit and basically telling us to lay down and be doormats. You know, damn house on fire. Massa, is our house on fire? 
Is we sick, master? You know, it's just, it's crazy. You know, and the thing is, is that, you know, again, they're terrified of black people standing up for themselves, which is why you see so much backlash to these grassroots and community movements that are springing up. And as I stated before, whatever, you know, whatever you're interested in, trust me, there is a group out there that's either protesting or that's doing whatever it is. Get online and look for it. You know, and it's so interesting because sometimes I have people reach out to me for some information, and I don't mind doing that, you know, because, I mean, if I were to show you guys my bookmarks and all the stuff that I have, and I, I got lazy a couple of years ago, so I really need to go in and clean that up. And But I have all these different folders and folders in the folders and folders within those. But, um Yeah, I have a vast amount of information, you know, at my fingertips. And, you know, I share it with people. But I also think it's important, you know, for you to go out there and Google, you know, this information. Like I said, you know, you can Google Tiffany Tiffany or Taylor Swift or, you know, any of those people. But you don't want to Google white supremacy, racism you know, and, and, and how you can help in this particular struggle. So, you know, when I see some of the things that are happening, and, you know, like I was teasing you all earlier about the good old apostle wanting to send y'all back to Africa, you know, and I've, we've talked about a number of things on this show, but I know one of the things that I talk about quite often are these token folks, And so, you know, basically they want white people to pat them on the back because they're not addressing, you know, social justice. They're not addressing and having these conversations about racism and white supremacy and privilege and entitlement and white lives matter and, you know, how the fraternal order of police officers is a damn hate group. You know, know, so they're putting your feelings you know, number one, you know, and they want to pat on the back. And even some of these people that are, you know, following and advocating for Donald Trump, see, they're waiting for a windfall. They're waiting for some money and some more faith-based initiatives and, you know, um, appointments to different boards. And for some of these, you know, boards, you get paid to be on the board. So if the board is paying you forty, fifty, seventy, two hundred thousand dollars a year just to come to these meetings and to sit, who the hell wouldn't want to supplement their income? And so it's just it's important that you all understand this game. It's the same game. The players have changed, but it's the same old shit. And so this is why we can sit back and we can tell you what's happening next because you know it's repetitive. Is perpetual, and we're trying to get you all to understand we need to respond differently. We have been studied all the way down to our toenails. They know exactly how we're going to respond and what we're going to do. And so, you know, that's why I think it's interesting with these token and, you know, these new Negroes, you know, trying to get that pat on the back and, you know, get 
you know, some benefits from this particular situation. You know, like I've said before, you know, some of these people out here, some of these nationalists and tokens and all of that, you know, they want white supremacy but in blackface. So that's, you know, what they're doing. You know, they're strategizing. They're jockeying for a position. This is what you're saying, you know, and and they won't address it, you know, because – it's just so funny. I think I'm going to call Daryl Scott's church and see if we can have him on the show. But, um, yeah, he'll probably end up getting like that other preacher and yelling and trying to do a whole sermon. So, again, uh, huh, yeah, you know, it's so funny because these same token blacks, you know, they they feel that they are morally superior because, you know, in as this, you know, as this issue, as these problems, as this racism and sexism and, you know, xenophobia, et cetera, as it continues to build up and the pressure is being pushed down and what's going to happen, it's going to end up exploding like a volcano. That is how this happens, and this is how it works. But with with these new Negroes here, basically they want to be able to tell Massa that they were good little Negroes and they didn't participate in that. So don't punish them, you know, but remember them when they're giving out, you know, rewards. And, um, And all they're giving you are scraps from the table. So, I mean, I'm just sitting back and I'm looking and I'm laughing because anytime we rise up and start demanding our human rights, now there is a difference between a civil right and a human right. And what's happening now, you know, especially with um, Black Lives Matter BLM, they are demanding human rights. And that is where a lot of the uproar is, you know, civil rights. Okay, you know, they some of these races, they can deal with that. Civil rights, yeah, whatever. We'll make another bill and, you know, that'll shut them up and give a few of them a couple of jobs or whatever. But human rights, you know, again, as I've stated before, the Constitution of this country does not even recognize us as human. And you're seeing the same thing now. You see these people out here, you know, they, you'll hear them say, shoot them down like dogs in the street. And that's what they've been doing, you know, and um, seeing all these news stories, you know, people, innocent people being incarcerated. Um, there was a story out the other day, you know, it was a black man that was incarcerated for many years for a crime he didn't commit. And there was a white man incarcerated for many years for a crime he didn't get, you know, that he didn't commit. The black guy got a million-dollar settlement, but the white guy got a $20 million settlement. And, you know, and it's interesting because when you see these people coming out of jail, you know, vindicated, you know, because they did not do the crime, the first thing they want to say is, I'm not bitter and, you know, I don't want revenge and, you know, I just want peace. And that's bullshit. You know, and so, again, um, you know, it was another story about this man who ended up going to jail because a corrupt police officer framed him. 
And he ended up being released from jail because they recognized his innocence, you know, after going through hell. And then he turned around and became best friends with the cop that put him in jail, you know. And so, you know, no, I don't know how, you know, I just, I don't understand why this is expected of us. And there are a lot of things that I don't understand, and, you know, I'll never understand it. But what's so interesting is when you call people out on some of the shit that they say and do, they'll say, oh, it was, you know, I misspoke or it was a misunderstanding or, you know, yeah, that was racist, but that was an accident. You understand, you know, and I'm like, what the hell? You know, what is going on? So, you know, when we start talking about this white supremacy, and you all know about my onion theory, you know, you got to peel back the layers of the onion one at a time to to, to get to the to that pearl of the onion to understand what's going on and how this happened. And so, yeah, yep, 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 yep. You know, I just want you guys to start doing some research because, you know, I'm looking at this shit and I'm looking at, you know, this toxic whiteness that we are being forced to co-sign on, that we're being forced to, you know, justify, that, you know, we're being forced to handle with kid gloves because they can't take it. But yet nobody gives a shit about us and our feelings, and what we've had to endure, you know, and, you know, for many generations, you know, you know, a lot of this has taken place, so, again, you know, a lot of these angry white men out here, you know, like I said, guns and Bibles, guns and Bibles, and so, um, yep, 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 we got to place this blame where it lies, you know, so, um, yeah, y'all, I started going into it already. I didn't really want to talk about all of that today, but kind of got caught up in it. But there is actually an article out that says white Christians can fix today's racism. Again, white Christians can fix today's racism. And it was written by Craig Hardigree, right? And so what... What is oh this is daily cost and so um huh, you know it talks about you know fundamentalism and you know the church and you know racism and the hatred and it's just it's amazing it's amazing you know um I saw the congressional black. Caucus come out and make all these various statements against Donald Trump and his birther conspiracy against President Obama. And so, you know, they were demanding an apology from Donald Trump and um, stating why Donald Trump, you know, is toxic, basically. And so, you know, I find all of this amazing because you have a number of, you know, Republicans that are behind Donald Trump. Some will say it publicly, but many of them will not state publicly that they support him. 
but, you know, they're towing the party line. And so where's the sit-in for that? Where's the sit-in for that? You know, are these same, you know, CBC members, are they going to sit or take a knee when the Pledge of Allegiance is played? I doubt it. You know, and see, that's why, you know, we're sitting here and we're watching this shit. And these same people act like they can't understand why we don't take them seriously and why a lot of the young people have written them off. So, you know, again, Donald Trump wants to, you know, make America great again. And I hope you all understand and realize what that is. You know, want to take our asses back to the late 1800s, early 1900s, you know, and um, or even, you know, the 30s and the 40s, you know, after the New Deal, which kind of we got the raw deal from that. And I did a series on that. So, you know, when you get a chance, go and look into the archives. You can find the shows on Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, and iTunes and Podbean, and a number of other places. Um, the sound quality is much better on Stitcher. So, you know, you can hit it up in a number of places. But just want you all to know that I talked about that, and it'll be coming up again. And so, yeah, white people are afraid of losing control. And they're afraid that they're going to be treated the way that they treated everybody else. And it's not just black people. You know, you got Latinos, you got Muslims, you got Native Americans, you have Asians. And so what's so interesting about that particular dynamic with, you know, Asian Americans and white supremacy is basically what they've done is they've set Asian people up as the quote-unquote model minority, But what I love about it is that a lot of Asians are not falling for that okey-doke, and they're like, bullshit. And so, you know, they recognize white supremacy for what it is. And so, you know, go and do some research on that. But, you know, yeah, it's time to start putting some pressure on these white Christians, the ones that said there's not a racist bone in their body. You know, and their, you know, black best friend that ain't nobody ever seen at the house, you know, but, you know, that's your best friend, right? So, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. Um, huh. So, yeah, that's, you know... Do the research, guys. Do the research. You know, white conservative Christianity and racism. You know, and they're afraid that, you know, minorities or people of color are taking over the country. And that's not true. And, I mean, even when the population, when their population is no longer the majority, they still will hold the power. And so, you know, is is yeah, is interesting, especially, you know, down in that Bible belt. 
you know, which is why I want you guys to go and look up, you know, um, Southern Strategy, you know, white Christians, racism, white supremacy, you know, you're going to come up with a lot of things. And, you know, I talk about these things because I want you all to have an ammunition to fight back, which is history, which is information. Because I remember being caught up in situations in which I didn't have the information that I needed and I could not articulate it the way that I wanted to. And I would get upset because I knew what I was saying was true and right. And so, you know, it takes time. But that's why this is here. This is why I encourage reading, you know, and I always talk about the different books that I've purchased and why when I meet academics, I always ask for a reading list, you know, just so I can see, you know, what they're out there talking about. And so, yeah, you know, while you have these white Christians out here denying that, you know, racism, you know, is is no longer a problem in America and that, you know, communities of color aren't doing well (laughs) because of racism in this country, which they benefit from. When I say they, I mean white people. You know, we're going to have to put pressure on them to basically start admitting that racism still exists and that they benefit from it, you know, and that, you know, a lot of what is happening now, you know, it, you know, some of it is rooted in racism. Other things is total racism. So, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, go out and take a look. You know, because what I find interesting is with a lot of these white Christians, you know, they want to claim victimhood and say that it's an attack on their religious liberties or their religion is being persecuted. You know, you especially hear this from that alt-right crew, right? And so go on and uh, look it up, you know, get some information, you know, because studies have shown that religious people tend to be more racist. Matter of fact, I'm looking for the information now. Um, You know, it was a study conducted by USC and examine the connection between religious groups and racism, and it arrived at a provocative conclusion. And so, you know, basically the purpose of the study was to be a meta-analytic review of past research evaluated the link between religiosity and racism in the United States since the Civil Rights Act, right? And there have been more than one Civil Rights Act. Go look that up as well. You know, and when you look that up, you know, look up W.E.B. Du Bois and some other black intellectuals that, you know, which civil acts, right, they preferred. I'll just put it that way. But um, it says here the report observed that members of religious congregations tend to harbor prejudiced views of other races. The study surveyed over 20,000 white Christians, citing their role as the largest demographic, both in terms of race and religious domination in the United States. 
And so you can find this name of this article is Religious People Tend to Be More Racist, Study Finds. And this is on Mike.com. So, um, yeah, so, you know, this these identity politics, you know, so, you know, white Christian identity politics. It's just, um, ah, it's interesting, you know, if the Jesus they claim that they believe in, if he were to come back, you know, I believe a lot of these white people probably wouldn't want to go through the pearly gates as they see that he's not blonde and blue. And what I got to say about that is, you know, if you go to, you know, Latin, Hispanic, mestizo countries, or what have you, um, you know, their Jesus looks like him. You know, in white countries, you got the white Jesus. In some black countries, you know, you have the black Jesus. You know, it takes me back to um, good times when Michael was questioning, you know, about Jesus and what it says in the Bible. And then J.J., you know, painted a black Jesus. And Florida was not having it. And remember her boyfriend, Carl? He was an atheist. So anyway, you know, I'm just kind of rambling at this point. So, you know, maybe I should shut it down, but it's a lot. It's a lot out here, you know, and we're going to get into it because, you know, I want to talk about, you know, white Christian American racism and what is really at the root of it. And so I know I'm going to get some crazy-ass emails and, you know, I make it real clear, you send me a fucked up email, I'm going to send you a fucked up response. So let's just make sure we understand each other. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of stuff, you know, that we definitely need to go over. You know, I guess this is part one, but I'll just leave it, you know, as this buffet of fuckery that we're dealing with. And you know, how the white Christian church, if you will, they don't realize that their demise, this is happening by their own hands because of the racism. You know, the racism and the biases, the bigotry, misogyny, you know, everything that falls under xenophobia, if you will. And, you know, is being magnified for everyone to see. Not just Americans, the entire world. And you all have a leader by the name of Donald Trump. You know, so, you know, this has been real, real interesting. So, yeah, you know, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about it. I want to dissect it. And so, people. I guess that's my next series of topics to talk about, you know, and um, it's so funny because you have these Christians out here and they try to use the Bible, you know, to kind of not necessarily have their way, but they try to project that they're morally superior because of the Bible. And um, it's so interesting because when you go to some of these churches, black or white, and sometimes the pastor gets up there and they're frustrated 
And they say when you're in a church, you act all holy, but it turns into a different story when you're across the street in the parking lot trying to, you know, leave in your car. Because I'm pretty sure many of you all have heard people say, if I wasn't a Christian, I would do this, that, and the other. And um, it's, 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 it's been interesting over the past several years because I've had Christians tell me, that I was acting more like a Christian than many Christians act. And so, you know, with these Christians out here, especially these white Christians, you know, why aren't you acting more Christian-like? So, you know, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I want you all to go and look up this article. Um White Christians need to act more Christian than white. And it was written by Jim Wallace, W-A-L-L-I-S. Again, Jim Wallace, and this is on the Washington Post. And the title, again, is White Christians Need to Act More Christian Than White. And um, he let them have it. You know, he was talking about, you know, in here, Tamir Rice, Sandra Bland, Laquan McDonald, Freddie Gray, and a number of other, you know, people of color that have fallen victim to, you know, state-sanctioned violence through police violence. And don't come at me with that black-on-black crime shit. You know, I'm telling you. And you know what? I'm going to be taking calls when I do that show. Now, you can call me up talking about black-on-black crime if you want to. I'm going to eat your ass up and spit you out. Now, I told you where I stand on that. And so um, and I did a series about that. So, you know, I know I did a show called White on White Crime and, you know, just the archives. The archives have a lot of information, a wealth of information. So I need you guys to go back. But, you know, this guy that wrote this article you know, he is also talking about structural racism, systemic and institutionalized racism. And, you know, I remember earlier I started a comment about the libertarians. And and when I say that, you know, you have different types of libertarians. So I need for people to understand that just like you have different types of Democrats, different types of Republicans, you have different types of libertarians. So I want to make sure that that's understood because I want this is not a blank statement per se. But um, I remember, you know, when there were certain laws being passed in different places, like in Arizona, how they were able to discriminate against LGBTQ people. And then there are some restaurants, you know, around the country, Arizona and North Carolina, to those two states specifically, I know, you know, have some restaurants that do not want black customers. And what's so interesting is with a lot of these libertarians of a certain ilk, if you will, you know, that's like a wet dream to them because they want to be able to determine, you know, who they can and can't or don't or won't, you know, service. And so, you know, when those laws were passed, you know, many, some of them were elated, I'll put it that way. And then some of the justifications that came later 
from, you know, some people of color who consider themselves libertarians. They're like, well, if they don't want to serve, you know, gay people or they don't want to serve black people, that's on them because they won't be making money. So, you know, it's really about the color green. And I just sit there and I look at them and I'm like, really? That's what you really believe? Or are you just trying to sell this shit to me? And so, you know, like I said, right now, I feel that we are in Jim Crow remixed. And we got to fight back. We got to continue to fight back, continue to put the spotlight on their asses, you know, and, you know, really it's time to put some pressure on white Christians in this country. And I know some of you are out there saying black Christians. Why not the black Christians too? And as I've stated before, there is a difference between white Christianity and black Christianity. And um, I did about four shows on that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to revisit some of the old topics and update my notes. And um, we're going to start over and do them again. You know, because I think it's important. But, um, yeah, guys, you know, it's just, it's a shame. It's a shame that we're still dealing with this shit, that we're still fighting, that we're still demanding white people to recognize our humanity. And while we try to say or like to say that, we are, you know, free and liberated, and we have control of our own agency. That's not really fully true. You know, and, um, you know, you know, the policing of black and brown bodies, the policing of, you know, black and brown minds, and you know that includes you know, Asians and and indigenous as well. I don't 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 think that I'm leaving you out, because I'm not. Because we're all in this together. And if Donald Trump didn't do anything, he has encouraged us to <laughs> to work together. You know, it was when all the Latinos, Hispanics started quitting. You know his you know campaign. That was quite interesting, but. You know, this dialogue, this dialogue, you know, it needs to be had. And, you know, and this article is talking about white Christians and how they are less likely to believe the experience of black Americans than non-Christian whites. You know, and, you know, he's talking about how that's a shameful indictment of the church, and it is. And that goes back to what I said earlier. You know, if your white friends don't believe you when you tell them how you've been mistreated and oppressed, that is not your friend. And just because you have people out here that are pro-black, pro-Latino, pro-Indigenous, pro-Asian, that does not mean that we are anti-white. No, that is not what that means. And again, that goes back to the Eurocentrism that I was talking about at the beginning of the show. And so I need for you guys to understand, you know, you know what's happening here. You know, because, you know, we're basically having an okey-doke run on us. That's exactly what this is. 
you know, and when you have black men and boys walking down the street minding their own damn business and they're getting pulled over, you know, and they have the jump outs and all of this other crazy shit, broken windows, policing, and, you know, black men and boys and black women and girls are automatically, you know, presumed to be guilty and dangerous. You know, you have them calling 12, 13-year-old little boys like Tamira Rice, and I forget the name of the 13-year-old black boy that was killed in Columbus, Ohio this week. And, um, you know, they want to say our children are like adults. But then you have a 30-plus-year-old white man over there fucking around in Brazil creating havoc and chaos. And you want to say boys will be boys. And then you can't understand why we start calling double standards. And so, you know, white families don't have to sit down and have that talk with their children. And it used to be black families only had to really have that talk with their sons. But as of late, at this point now, more black women and girls are being incarcerated than black men and boys. And that's growing. And so we need for you all to be, you know, to, 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 to be mindful of these things, right? You know, because, you know, it's hard. And you want to know why, you know, we look so stressed out, why we have, you know, high blood pressure, you know, and the sugar and all of that stuff. You know, studies have shown that that belly fat, a lot of that is from stress, you know, and beer and other things or what have you, you know, I'm not saying that is the only thing, so don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, when you're constantly living under the microscope, when you're constantly being scrutinized, you're constantly, you know, when something happens, you know, everybody's looking at the black person like, "Uh uh-huh, you know, and whether you were accused verbally, you know, or not, you know, we know you know, we're being doubted, right? And, um, you know, just it's it's a hard cross to carry. And we've been doing this for hundreds of years. So, again, you know, I just find it interesting that, you know, the people in this country, in particular white Christian Americans, how they hate the Black Lives Matter movement, how they hate, you know, a number of movements, you know, community and grassroots movements, you know, out here advocating for different communities of color. They hate these movements. You know, you got frivolous lawsuits being, you know, um, being filed against the leaders of Black Lives Matter and some of these other groups. And again, You know, what's so interesting is when people come in and they start saying, no, all lives matter or blue lives matter, you know, again, you're factoring us out, totally erasing us from, you know, from the conversation, from existence, from having our own agency. And so it's just interesting. You get mad when they say black lives matter, but then it's okay if they say blue lives matter. I guess you just don't like the black part. Huh. Funny how that works. And so it's just that, um, yeah, you know, they encourage people all over the world 
when they have these uprisings claiming that they want democracy, they want to be liberated from socialism or communism or your dictatorship. You know, you know, we already have fascism in this country, you know, which is why you see the rise of Donald Trump and David Duke and people of that particular ilk. And, um, you know, but when it's other countries, yay, good for them. When it happens here, no, you're lucky we allow you to stay in this country. And shut up, sit down, take what we give you, and if you don't like it, you can take your ass back. And it's so funny because I saw, you know, a number of memes, but the one that I found most hilarious is, is you know, one where the black guy says, you know, you want us to go back to Africa, but you're all right, right? And so I'm just sitting here, and I'm looking at, you know, they do not want to recognize black people and Latino, black and brown people. And when I say brown people, you know, I'm not just talking about Latinos. I'm also talking about Muslims because Islam is a black and brown religion. And the Islamophobia that is being perpetuated in European countries, you know, in American, in America, you know, is racism. Plain and simple. You know, so, yeah, you know, anytime we talk about we want to be seen as fully human, then that's when it becomes a problem course, you know, these people don't have a racist bone in their body, right? Hmm. Funny how that works. You know, and it was so interesting when Donald Trump went to that black church in Detroit, the mega church. You know, they were trying to make it seem like it was a lot of folks there. You all got to pay attention to the camera angle because that place was pretty much empty. And um, I was just sitting there watching them during the praise and worship devotion part. And, you know, the pastor, he was like all into it. And I'm like, yeah, they putting it on thick for the camera and looking at Donald Trump. And he's looking like he's doing everything in his power not to laugh. And so Ben Carson was there and Omarosa or whatever her name is. You know, she was there with him, too. And, um, you know, the black community is being played yet again. The black and brown communities. You know, 2007, 2008, when our communities lost, you know, the majority of the wealth that, you know, we had accumulated, you know, over generations, that was gone. Is gone. We got poorer. And as I've stated before, we're in trouble. We are in trouble. And so, you know, I'm just, I'm looking at this craziness. And, um, and I also want you all to pay attention the white people and the white institutions that stand in solidarity with us that, you know, are recognizing and speaking out against the white supremacy and racism in this country, I need for you all to pay attention because they are then persecuted. 
you know, when you go back to the civil rights movement and they start talking about how some white people were killed because they were nigger lovers and all of this other stuff, that still happens to this day. If you are a white person and you stand up for a black person, if there is any way that, you know, that the powers that be, if there's anything they can do to harm you, that is what they're going to do. And so I just want you guys to, you know, pay attention. Pay attention, you know, to what's happening. And so, yeah, buddy, you know, and um, people want to call the show and argue that it's up to black people to stomp out white supremacy. We've been trying to stomp out white supremacy from the first black person that stepped, you know, on the ground in America. It's going to take white people to save themselves from white supremacy and racism, period. You know, and, um, huh, you know, there's another article here. I haven't read this yet, but the title of it is Jews in America Struggled for Decades to Become White now we must reject white privilege to fight racism. And again, Jews in America struggled for decades to become white. Now we must reject white privilege to fight racism. And what's so interesting about that in particular is with the movement for black lives. You know, part of their platform that they presented, you know, it was, you know, recognizing the Palestinians and the apartheid that is happening over in Israel. And, you know, you've had many Jewish people and organizations, you know, turn their back and stop supporting BLM. And so, you know, it's, it's you know, it's, it's been interesting, you know, just looking at this shit and paying attention to it. What's most interesting is living it, you know, and especially when I look and talk to some of these white progressive liberals who claim that they don't have a racist bone, you know, in their body, a racist fiber, not one, and you're lying, and you know you're lying, and I know you're lying, and we know how white progressive liberals have stagnated, you know, the progression and the growth of communities of color. And in in many cases, you perpetuate the racism. And when we call you out on it, you want to cry foul. Foul, sorry. And, you know, you know again, with that white fragility and the white tears. So, yeah, you know, we need to um, have a talk about the coddling of white American Christians and how it has set this country up, you know, for a major fall, you know, and that includes patriarchy. You know, let's not, you know, think that I'm not talking about that, but, yeah, we need to, you know, have some real hard conversations. So I have given you all the information for the next series that will be coming forth. And so on that note, 
I want to thank you guys for listening to the show, listening to the archives, you know, for the well wishes, you know. I appreciate it. And so, again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And one more time, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. My name is Kimberly, and it was a privilege and an honor to present this show to you today. See you all next Sunday. Everybody take care. Bye-bye.